Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me. All you workers of iniquity, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Father God, thank you for your word. As always, we praise you for this wonderful book, the Bible. And we know that it is not just a regular book. It is unlike any other book on earth. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, holy, perfect, unchanging Word of God. God breathed from above. And so, Father, we approach it that way today humbly. And we pray today that you'd fill me with the Spirit as I attempt to proclaim it. Help me, Lord God, to say only those things I should. Protect me from saying anything I ought not. And help this Word to go forth with power and with with, uh, fruit today. Uh, And I pray also, Lord, that you would fill us all with the Spirit that we might hear, that we might accept it as your Word, that we might respond to it as your Word, that we might see it and understand it and be changed. Bless the the Word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A week or so ago, Amy and I went and saw a movie called Left Behind. It's a remake of another movie, and it's based on a series of books written by Tim LaHaye and uh, somebody, Jenkins, I can't remember his first name, Jerry Jenkins, is that right? Something like that. Uh, How many of you have read the Left Behind books? Uh, A few of you. How many of you have gone to see that movie? A few of you? Okay. Well, the premise of the books, for those of you who do not know about the Left Behind series of books, is that there is a cataclysmic event called the Rapture which is imminent and actually is depicted in the movies and in the books. And uh, they trace the ramifications of that event through the lives of a couple of people who are left behind in that rapture. They were not taken in the rapture, they were left behind. And I don't know if you, if you look at the same kinds of things online that I do, the same kind of news stories and stuff, but anytime something like this comes out, a Christian-themed movie or book or something, all kinds of questions will be in the air. And uh, I've been seeing these kinds of questions. Is there really such a thing as the rapture? That question is being asked. What will it be like? Who will be taken in the rapture? And what will life be like for those left behind? Well, let me answer those questions just briefly for a moment. It's really not the topic of my message today, but let me just answer them because they all have answers. Will there be a rapture? Is there really such a thing as a rapture? Well, yes, it is clearly taught in the Bible. Most clearly taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'd encourage you to turn over to this passage. There's be a couple passages I'll ask you to turn to this morning. Uh, and this one you definitely want to turn to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
and verse number 13. This is the passage which most clearly teaches the rapture. There are some others that uh, intimate at it and talk about it a little bit, but none as clearly as here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This is actually the passage where we get the term, the rapture. First Thessalonians 4.13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so the rapture is the first phase, if you will, of the second coming of Christ. According to this passage, he's not going to make it all the way to earth. He's going to meet us in the air. And the church, those who are saved, are going to be raptured and caught up to be with him. The dead who have died in Christ will rise, and then we who are alive Glory to God, will not have to face death and will rise to meet him also. Did you notice that little phrase caught up there in verse 17? You might want to circle that in your Bible. That little phrase caught up, you might want to circle it and write beside it in the margin the word rapture. Because it is a translation of a Greek word that means to snatch or to catch away. It conveys the idea of force suddenly exercised, of plucking or pulling or snatching or taking by force. That's what's taking place there in that verse. Now, when the New Testament was translated into Latin, when we have the Latin Vulgate, a Latin term, and I don't know Latin, so I have no idea how to pronounce this word, but a Latin term, rapio, R-A-P-I-O, in Latin which means to snatch away or carry off, is what was used there. And that became the, the source of the English word rapture. And so it really comes from the Latin translation of that phrase caught up there in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. And so the doctrine of the rapture is not some new thing. You see that every once in a while. Well, the rapture wasn't talked about until the 1800s. That is nonsense. The doctrine of the rapture is as old as the book of First Thessalonians, which the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century. And so, yes, there is such a thing as the rapture. What will it be like? Who will be taken in the rapture? Well, Christians will be taken and non-Christians will be left. It's as simple as that. What will life be like for those who are left behind? Well, I can answer that in one word. Bad. Very bad. That's two words. Immediately after the rapture, the very next event on the prophetic timeline is the seven-year tribulation of the church. It's a time of turmoil. It's a time of judgment upon this earth, unlike anything the world has ever seen. Those who are left behind from the rapture will either live through that or die during it. It will not be a good time. Now, if you read the Left Behind books or if you watch the movie, this particular movie just dealt with the very beginning, just with the event of the rapture itself. But if you read the entirety of the series of books, you'll see that all these things are pretty clearly portrayed. But there's something else that is portrayed that I think is wrong. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. I think it is an error. You see, there are several characters in the books, several characters in the movie, who were rejectors of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to the rapture. And then the rapture came. And then they thought, hey, I think we might have made a mistake here. And then they got saved. 
And the whole rest of the book, the whole rest of premise of the entire series is it traces the lives and experiences of these people who are now saved as they go through the tribulation period. And I would suggest to you this morning that's a flawed premise. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the rapture is not only a moment most glorious for the saved. And who among us who are saved don't hope that we are in the generation that gets caught up? What a glorious thing. But not only is it most wonderful for the saved, but it's a moment most terrible for the lost. You know why? Because it's a deadline. Because it is a dividing line. It's a decision point. Once crossed, destinies are set. I believe that nobody who has said no to Christ on this side of the rapture will say yes to Christ on the other side. I think the Bible is clear on that. I believe that if you were lost... When the rapture occurs, you are lost for all of eternity, and there will be no further option. And this truth is taught throughout the Bible, and so I want to kind of look at that today. Our text that I read might not seem like it's about the rapture, but I think it teaches this this principle, this truth. And I want you to notice two different things that we're going to draw out of this text in Luke chapter 13. First of all, I want us to look at a question, and then I want us to notice a warning that Jesus gave. And my outline is kind of odd today, but I think it'll make sense when we... When we get down through it, the first thing I want us to see is this question. It's an abstract question that Jesus made personal. An abstract question Jesus made personal. And then after that, I want us to notice his warning, which is that there is a door now open, which will soon be closed forever. So first of all, let's look at the question. It's in verse number 23 of Luke chapter 13. One said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Lord, are there few who are saved. Now, I think obviously this question must refer back to an earlier sermon Jesus had preached. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in that particular sermon, Jesus had said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so I think this person who asked this question perhaps had been in attendance that day. And maybe he'd been chewing over this ever since. He'd been wondering about this. He'd been thinking, if I ever get an opportunity to talk to that preacher, I'm going to ask him about that particular thing. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Questions are a good thing. Questions show people are thinking. Questions show people are listening. And so here's somebody who listened to this sermon, perhaps, and he took Jesus aside and he said, Lord, is it true? Are there few who are saved? And Jesus answered the question in verse number 24. Verse number 24 uh, says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He says, yes. He did answer the question. He reiterated his earlier point. The way is narrow. Few will be saved. But notice how he answered the question. He turned it around on the questioner, didn't he? And he turned it from being abstract to being personal. He basically said, you're asking the wrong question. He said, the question ought not to be, are there few who will be saved, but rather, will I be one of the ones saved? He took it from abstract to personal. If I were to ask you, what is the subject of that particular sentence when he says there in verse number, uh, where is it, 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, I was asking you what the subject of that is. You don't know what it is. It's you. It's the implied you. He was saying to this person, you need to strive to make sure that you are entering into that gate. 
Don't just wonder whether there's a narrow gate, but determine that if such is the case, you'll be one who goes through it. Strive. That word means try with all your might. That word means do whatever you need to do to ensure that you are safe, that you are saved. Don't ask an abstract question. Ask a personal one. Will I be on the narrow way? Well, I think the same is true of the rapture. I think the same thing is true of that. The question we need to be asking is not, will there be a rapture? The question we need to be asking this morning is, if it happens today, will I be taken in the rapture? Or will I be one who is left behind? And Jesus goes very quickly from answering this question in this way to giving a very interesting warning. He goes on to say, the reason that you need to be striving to enter in is because it's not always going, the door's not always going to be open. The way's not always going to be there. There's coming a day when the door will be shut and it will be too late. Verse number 25, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. He said there is a door that is now open that soon will be closed forever. And so he warns, strive to enter in while you can. Strive to get onto the narrow way now before it's too late because there is coming a day when you won't be able to make that choice. Yesterday was the one-month anniversary of Beth's home going. She, uh, she went to sleep on September 17th, thinking she had a whole life ahead of her. All kinds of plans. We had plans for the next day. We had all kinds of tours scheduled for the next day. There seemed to be plenty of time. But on that next morning, the morning of September 18th, before she could even awake and think about it, God took her. Just like that. <laughs> you see, there is coming a day when the master of the house will rise and shut the door. And once the door is shut, there is no opening it. And once the door is shut, you have no way of getting in. There's coming a day when God will call you out of this world. And when that day comes, there'll be no further decisions on your part. There'll be no further opportunity. No further opportunity to trust Christ. No further chance to get on the narrow way. Whatever you have decided prior to crossing that finish line, that's your decision. And you will live all of eternity with it. You'll either be in heaven or you'll be in hell. Based on what you've decided this side of that line. And nothing done on the other side will matter. There is no hope of changing your mind. That's why Jesus said strive. That's why Jesus said make it your aim. That's why Jesus said work diligently to ensure that you are on the narrow way before the day comes that the master of the house stands up and shuts the door. Now that coming day for you may involve God calling you out of this world in death as he did Beth. Or we may well be in that generation. Again, we hope so that is fortunate enough to experience the rapture. And if so, that coming day for you may involve that finish line called the rapture. But either way, once the line is crossed, the decision is set. If you are not saved, when God calls you out of this world in death, you'll die and go to hell. If you are not saved, when the rapture occurs and you are left behind, you will go to hell. There will be no further opportunity. If you're not saved before the rapture occurs, you have said in this service, heard the gospel proclaimed. If you've heard it proclaimed someplace else and you have said no, or even if you have just said, I'll think about it for a while, but I'm not going to act on it right now. When that rapture occurs, your chance is up. You've come to a dividing line, 
a finish line. See, that's my my problem with the left-behind books. This premise bothers me about them. People who had rejected Christ before the rapture get saved. And then they go on and live throughout the tribulation. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Now, don't get me wrong. I I don't think these are bad books. As a matter of fact, I kind of like these books. I've read them all. And uh, if if you want to read something that's entertaining and actually does give you a pretty good view of the timeline of prophecy, prophetic events that are yet to come, uh, I, I think they're good. I would recommend you read them. But just understand this premise. Because here's what I fear happens. Here's what I fear people will do. People will say, well, wait a minute now. I think I'll just wait and see. If that thing happens as it says, then I'll just change my mind and I'll get saved. There's always people who are waiting for more evidence, more proof. If the rapture happens and I'm left behind, well, then I'll just trust Christ. No, you won't. You absolutely will not. You will have no such opportunity and you will die lost. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, well, once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open for us, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. He said it will be too late. He said you will be thrust out. That's what verse number 28 says. Jesus taught this often. It wasn't just here. He taught often throughout the New Testament that there is a line past which you will not be able to choose salvation. There is a line that once crossed is final. He was talking to the Pharisees one day. John chapter 7. He said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. There's a line. He said in John chapter 8 and verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And so there is a line. He told the parable of the virgins. Let's flip to this one. This is a clear teaching of this. Matthew chapter 25. Flip over there. The parable of the ten virgins. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Much could be said about that parable. There's much that we could talk about there. But the key point is, is simply this. They waited too long, and the door was shut. Did you see that? And there was no changing that. The door was shut. The passage that most clearly teaches this with respect to the rapture is in Second Thessalonians. This is the last one I'll ask you to turn to. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Flip over there real quickly. And I want you to notice this same truth is taught about the rapture. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1.
Second Thessalonians 2, 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Did you see those last two verses? Boy, those are strong verses. You know what they're saying? They're saying those who did not get saved this side of the rapture are not going to get saved the other side of the rapture. They will not believe. The idea that they'll understand and accept, no, that's simply not the truth. It's not going to happen. For those who said no on this side, the answer will be no on that side. And so when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Those who heard the gospel that did not respond before the rapture won't be saved after the rapture either. So what about you? Where do you fit in this? If you die today, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready? To meet the Lord? Do you know that you would go to heaven? Are you saved? You know that once death occurs, there is no further decision. There's nobody going to pray you out. There's nothing going to happen to change what you have decided this side of that. Decision time is over. But what if the rapture occurs today? And how many of you would say, Amen, I hope it does? Amen, I hope it does. What if it happens today? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Do you know you'd go to heaven? Do you know you'd be included? What if that trumpet sounds and the master of the house stands up today and calls out his church? Would you be one of the ones who rise? Or would you be one of the ones who are left behind? You see, this is not an abstract question. It's a personal question. It's a very real one. Because unlike in the movie where the characters had an opportunity after the fact, that's not what the Bible teaches will be the case with you. You will not only be left behind. You will really be left behind, forever left behind. And so I encourage you today, I ask you today, I implore you today, if I could beg you today, I would do it. Strive now while you can to be on the narrow way, to enter in the gate, flee to the cross. Trust Christ now while you can, because there is a day. There is a line over which that decision will no longer be possible. You will be really, really left behind.